James, thank you so much. Lovely to be with you this evening. Nice to see uh, new faces as well as old ones and familiar ones. It's good to be alive, isn't it? Anyone glad to be alive today? There's times where it's not feeling quite like that. And what we've got in 2 Corinthians is a guy who's pretty much in a mixed mode about whether he's, uh, he's glad to be alive or not. As, as he works through the letter, uh, you, get, you get moments where you can see the glory that's breaking through. But here in the passage we've got, we've got a guy who really has been through the mill. Um, I don't know if you ever think about that in terms of Christian leaders might feel like they've gone through the mill. You, I mean, you might know some of them close up and personally. You're like, yeah, no, of course, no problem. I get, get that. But sometimes when Christian leaders are like, oh, crikey, life gets really difficult at times, it can be slightly disturbing for us. I I can remember being a a young young leader in in a church and the minister who just looked like one of these sort of uh, superstar uh, DJ type Christians uh, up the front gave a talk where it was like about how he didn't believe some things sometimes and he had doubts and I was like, what? What are you doing to me? You're messing with my head here. I don't like it. And here we've got Paul who's like, been going through the mill. It's not really so much about whether he believes things, but it's more about, you know, is my life worthwhile? Have I actually, like, had the impact on life? There was a best-selling Christian book not long ago called The Purpose Driven uh, Life, and what he's wondering about is whether his life has had any purpose at all. It's like the no purpose <laughs> driven life. And he's like, what have I been doing? Because once upon a time, he's gone on a journey, and he's ended up in a place called Corinth. And Corinth was like, it's been like a cross between a university city and a commerce city. It was a sort of place with a lot of prostitutes, a place with a lot of commerce. It was, it was actually in this tiny little bit of Greece where you would carry boats from one side of Greece to literally to the other side of Greece because it would save you going around a perilous sea. So it's full of sailors. It's full of all the stuff that happens in ports where people are just you know, sleeping around. All that sort of stuff going on. Uh, and he's founded a church there. And he's poured his heart and soul into this church. Have you ever done anything where you're like, yeah, I work really hard on that? I can remember doing geography GCSE coursework. That's, that's my sad memory of working really hard on something. It might have been last time. But anyway, when I was 15, I worked incredibly hard on mapping out the central business district of Croydon. Yeah? Of Croydon. How about that? Come on. Come on. Anyway, I got like 60 out of 60 on this phenomenal project, which took me the entire summer holidays. I literally, instead of just filling in a map, I traced a map by hand of Croydon City Centre. I mapped out every single shop that was in there. I worked out the distance between the shops. And a little bit of information for you, in case you've never done this yourself. Jewellery shops are very close together, but newsagents are spread out exactly, um, almost exactly apart because... Jewelry quarter, you, you'll go there to find it all out. Anyway, I'm not even, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but I was telling you that. Uh, because that was how I worked really hard on it. And then the geography teacher said, can I keep it, Richard? Can I keep it? I want to show it off to future generations. Oh, I said, yes. <laughs> it's the last time I've seen my geography GCSE coursework. I haven't got it here to show you off and go, hooray. I can't hold it over my children saying, work harder. Look what your father did when he was young. I, I, haven't, got, I haven't got it. It doesn't exist anymore. And Paul is worried, is his church going to exist far more important than a GCSE project? Is this church that he got beaten up to found going to exist? Is this church that he poured his life out for going to found? I wonder if you've ever had this sort of experience in your life. You've been working away on something. Sometimes it might be as a parent, you've been trying to bring up this little nappy brat thing that landed on your doorstep and and suddenly it's like it's left home and you're like 
what's he going to do with his life now? You know, any parent? I'm not asking. You don't have to put your hands up because the camera might catch you. But there's that sort of moment where you're like, I can't control them anymore. <laughs> what are they going to do? Are my children? Actually, that's a, that's a biblical attitude if you've got that attitude. I'm not saying it's a good attitude, but it's in the Bible. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, who knows who's going to come after you, whether he be wise or a fool. So it's foolish to chase after your children being excellent. He's like, whew. Yeah, we do things in life, don't we? And we don't know if they're going to last. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is life is fleeting. It means it's a breath. You know the winter mornings, which are coming up soon. Anyone enjoying getting up more in the dark these days? <laughs> It's not so fun, is it? But you get up in a winter's morning, you walk outside and you breathe out, and it's like you're a dragon. <laughs> it's like you're in one of these Netflix series. You're a dra- you know, your breath comes out. And, he, and that's what Solomon, in all his wisdom, says life is like. It's breathy. It's fleeting. It's meaningless. What's the purpose in it, he's saying? And Paul is having an existential crisis as one of the great heroes of Scripture. And he's like, is the Corinthian church just breathy? Is it just fleeting? Is it just meaningless? What have I been pouring my life out for? Are you guys going to last? He is pretty close on full-blown depression when he's writing to Corinthians. There's a good chance he's writing from a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of those places of extreme spiritual warfare. We had a, a video at the beginning, which was a sort of a Pilgrim's Progress meets Screwtape Letters, if you know the great Christian classics. And at the end of the film, there was that little clip of, uh, of a little demon uh, talking to his master demon saying, have we lost him now? Have we lost this Christian Because that burden that was on his back was his accumulated sin, his sin burden. And ever since he'd started to read the Bible, that burden had appeared on his back. Before he had picked up the Bible in Pilgrim's Progress, the burden wasn't there. But it's when he starts to talk to God, he begins to get convicted of his sin. And um, shall I borrow James for this, do you reckon? I'm not going to pick on you because, you know, that'd be mean, wouldn't it? Now let's borrow James instead. Because uh, he's the curate, so um, that's what he signed up for at ordination. Um, and, uh, and on his back has come a burden that's, uh, that's weighing him down. And uh, he just realizes it when he reads the Bible, because he gets convicted that the sin is there. It was there all along, but until that point he was in oblivion, he didn't realize it was there. But suddenly he is aware of sin core part of the Christian gospel, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's aware of it. And then he starts out on a long journey and he walks to the tree of Calvary. He walks up to that cross of Jesus. And at the cross, the burden just falls off his back. It rolled down the hill. Did you notice how it rolled down into a grave? It rolls down into Jesus' tomb. And he's free, he's free. He's free, hallelujah, amen, he's free. You can, you can have a seat, James, unless you want to stand there smiling as a exhibit A. <laughs> he's good at smiling, isn't he? He's, he's a quality, quality curate characteristic. Uh, so Paul has had this experience for himself. He's had this experience for the people in Corinth. He has been like, wow, they've got free. But there's no Zoom calls. There's no Zoom prayer meetings so he can check in with them. He can't sign in at Tuesday at one o'clock and do a half hour check in with them. 
And he keeps hearing reports that they're tolerating sin in their church. They're even quite proud of some of the sin going on. It's people sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping with. They're like, oh, it's great, the grace of God, it doesn't matter. And he's like, what? You've missed the point. It's like this is rolling down into the grave down here, and you're like crawling back to the tomb, and you're like, going, my precious, my precious. <laughs> and then you're passing it around to people. Look, 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 we can keep this. And he's like, what muppets you are, Corinthians. You utter fools, it came off your back. You need to wallow around like a dog going back to its vomit. <laughs> Sin's like bad for you. He's saying, get rid of it. So he's depressed. He's like, what's going wrong with them? Are they just going to fall apart? And he's written them letters, and they've written him harsh letters back, and some of the letters were so bad, we don't even have them recorded anymore. Someone burnt them, I think, <laughs> so they didn't carry on. But this one lasts for us. And here Paul says to them, would you please make room for us in your hearts. And it's like a parent talking to the kid that hasn't phoned home for a long time. Make room, go on, remember your mum, son. <laughs> remember, remember her, make room in your hearts. Because look, we, we carry you in our hearts so much that we would live or die for you. And the great apostle to this church, he's found, I, I'd die for you, he's saying. I would die for you, I'd live for you and I would die for you. I'm, I love you enough to speak to you with great frankness. I take pride in you. I'm always boasting about your geography GCSE coursework or whatever it is. I take pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds because of you. Because it was, it was hard looking out for you. We had conflicts on the outside, but also fears within where I thought I was going to lose you. But God comforted me. And the way he comforts him here in verses 6 through 7 is through a person. I don't know what picks you up in life. What picks you up when you're feeling discouraged? Uh, sometimes it's a meme on Instagram when you're bored in the sermon and you're flicking through. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's uh, social media in some way. Sometimes it's, it's someone calling you up. Sometimes you actually go, oh yeah, I really ought to read my Bible this morning and it speaks directly to you. Oftentimes it's, it's a mate, isn't it? It's a friend. It's someone who cares about you. And for Paul, it was flesh and blood who, uh, who comforted him. This guy called Titus, he was one of his interns. And he sends his intern, Titus, to the Corinthians. And, and this is what it says about it. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me. So my joy was greater than ever. He sent his intern off to Corinth, to this city of uh, cesspit uh, mess. And the intern says, they received me. <laughs> they cared for me. And Paul, they haven't given up on you. And by the way, they haven't given up on the gospel. They just got caught up in a mess for a while. They picked up the rubbish again for a while. They thought that they should hold on to it, Paul. Uh, but they've realized they were wrong and they've given it up again. They've come back to Jesus, Paul. It's going to be all right. So he's encouraged, firstly, by flesh and blood. He's, secondly, he's encouraged, this is verses 8 through 13, he's encouraged that they have repented. I don't know what repentance means to you as, as a word. Sometimes it, it means a street preacher shouting at people. 
Sometimes it means the thing they used to say in church, but we don't say anymore because it's not very nice and it won't help people find Jesus. (laughs) To me, repentance is one of the sweetest words in the English language. It's one of the most beautiful things. I wonder if it is for you as well. Repentance literally means a changing of mind, a renewing of mind. And whenever I have come to God in repentance, I have found the sweetest restored relationship, the most beautiful, close harmony with him ever. Repentance is one of the biggest gifts that the church has on offer. It's no surprise that the enemy of our souls wants us not to talk about it. Because it's a beautiful thing. It says that even after this has rolled off your back on that beautiful first encounter at Calvary, and you've gone back to get it like a dog going back to his vomit, you can say sorry and turn away from it again and be free. That's what repentance does. It means you realign your mind to Jesus and he sets you free. We were, we were worshipping earlier in a lovely time. I was, I was praying over there in the corner. And I, I just had in my mind, I wonder if there are people who, they've watched that little video of the guy's burden coming off and, and they're like, actually, yeah, I've got a little burden growing on my back. And maybe I've got one in my hands. And it's, it's sort of quite hard to let go of. Do you ever find that about, about sin? It's sort of, it's a bit seductive, isn't it? It looks like a nice cupcake to start with. <laughs> and before you know it, it's, uh, it's a couple of stone of extra unwanted weight <laughs> sticking to you. It looks just so easy access. You know, that sort of, oh, I feel so much better if I could just slag her off. <laughs> just get that out of my system. And before you know it, your slagging off words have come back on you and smacked you like you're driving down a motorway. You put your head out the window, you've slagged someone off, and it's all come back in you as the vomit that you spewed out has hit you. You see, sin's just really bad for us, which is why repentance is so beautiful, because it restores our soul. The, the lovely hymn we sang, when peace like a river attendeth my soul. It's a conditional thing. It's a conditional thing. Sometimes people say, oh, Richard, why don't you just tell us everything's going to be all right? (laughs) Why don't you just tell us God loves us and blesses us? Why do you say, repent for your sins? Why do you say, turn back? It's because there's not much truth in it, is there? If you go, oh, look, you find someone carrying their sin around like this, and you go, oh, don't worry. (laughs) Jesus loves you carrying this around. I mean, Jesus does love you carrying whatever rubbish you're carrying around. But he loves you enough to say, get rid of it. (laughs) He loves you enough to say, chuck it out. I mean, after all, that's the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? What Jesus' most famous sermon is. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, pull them out. It's better for you to enter into eternity maimed than to not enter into the kingdom of God at all. That's Jesus' teaching. We're not here to lull each other to sleep on a Sunday evening, spiritually. We're here to save one another from the Satan leaps that are so tempting for us. As we come under God's word, 
we, we notice this, this phrase in verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. Godly sorrow leads to salvation. What, what is godly sorrow? Well, Paul contrasts it in that verse with worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow, he says, brings death. Godly sorrow brings you to repentance. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the, the mourning that you have when you, you look at your sin and you're like, I'm so sorry that I've got in a mess again, God. I'm just sorry. I wonder if you've ever had the, the privilege of just being convicted of sin and just weeping over your sin. It's just such a beautiful thing to see your sin just sort of washed away as you begin to say sorry. It's one of the chief ministries of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. To say, look, this bit's not right. If you, if you like, it's like a heightened conscience. You might have become a Christian. And you're like, suddenly you know, I've got all this stuff going on where I'm, it seems to be pointing out that I'm getting things wrong. And you might be like, well, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like this conscience thing in my head. It's sort of going off all the time now I've become a Christian. I'd rather get rid of that. I'd rather just assuage it. I'd rather turn down the dial. <laughs> I don't want it. But it's a gift, you see. The heightened conscience is to try and lead us into what verse 1 said, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants the best of us to come so the conscience gets pricked. The conscience comes alive when the Holy Spirit's filling us up. The conscience points out our faults. And people go, but can't you just sort of, you know, wrap us around in, in nice sort of tissue paper and say, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about the conscience, sir. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And the truth is you can do that. And you can find people who will do that for you. If you do a little Google search, I'm sure you can find a preacher who will tell you anything you want to say on any subject whatsoever. But it's not going to do you or me any good to be told that we're all right if we're fundamentally in a mess. And look what Paul says here. In verse 9, I am happy. Oh, good, Paul. That's nice. Why are you happy? I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. It's, it's a truth worth knowing that sometimes God wants to make you sorrowful. <laughs> yeah. If you swallowed the pill that says God just wants to make me happy, that's a pretty tough one to listen to. <laughs> but it's a pill that was a lie that should never have been sold to you. Sometimes God wants to make you sorrowful because it leads to repentance. And repentance is this beautiful cleansing. You think about it. Think of the people in the Old Testament or the New Testament who encountered God most clearly. Let's do, a, let's do a forward path. There were the people who encountered God just reflected in the face of Moses as he came down the Ten Commandment hill of Mount Sinai. And they couldn't stand to look at his face. They asked him to cover up his face because he was reflecting the glory of God. <laughs> and then if you go forward a bit to say Isaiah, one of the prophets, and he has this vision of God. 
And it's like an angel comes to him and put a coal on his lips, burning his lips because of the impurities. And he said, whoa, woe is me, woe is me. Or go into the New Testament to St. Peter, who sees Jesus do a miracle and he falls down at Jesus' feet and says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. If you want to see God, this is a truth that you've got to get your head around. If you want to see more of God, you're going to see more of yourself as you come more into the light. And friends, you're going to see more shadow and more sin and more rubbish. It's like an onion. Ever, ever tried to peel an onion? I tried recently wearing sunglasses to see if it would stop me crying, but it didn't work. <laughs> I still cry my eyes out peeling this onion. But an onion's got layers to it, hasn't it? And maybe you come to Jesus the first time and this comes off your back. It's like the skin of the onions come off. But the more you walk with him, the more he says, but let's go a bit deeper, shall we? And he takes off another layer of the onion and it makes you cry again. And then you get closer and he says, take off another layer. You end up crying again. Take off, you end up crying again, crying. Because he's trying to get to that core thing. That core thing that caused you to go off course years ago. I can remember being convicted, or I thought I was being convicted of sin of drinking too much a few summers ago. And uh, I think I said this a, a few weeks ago, it stuck as a good illustration, but I felt God saying, no, it's not the drinking that's your problem. There's something much deeper than that. Come unto my knife. Let me get to the core of it for you. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And it saves us. It brings salvation. It's a beautiful thing. Repentance is about getting us right with God. It's a glorious thing. Sometimes God wants to make you sad. To set you free. He's peeling away the onion. But look at the punchline at the end of this chapter. He's written to them, they've been repenting. Uh, this godly sorrow has produced in you earnestness, earnest eagerness to clear yourself, indignation at where you went wrong, alarm and longing and concern and readiness to see justice done. Every point you've wanted to be innocent. And then he says, in addition to this, uh, this is verse 13, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, that's the intern who's gone there and back again, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I have boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. The end of the story is that their repentance has led to people who are obedient. You say, well, obedient? <laughs> Where do you get that from? That sounds pretty oppressive. Obedient to who? And it's actually, it's the thing that Jesus said to his disciples as his punchline, his epitaph to his ministry. Go into the world, he says in Matthew 28, 19, and make disciples. This is the call for the church. This is the mission of the church. Go into the world and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, of each and every nation, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you and baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
The goal of the Christian life is obedience to Jesus. And repentance is this beautiful gift that helps us get there. Friends, on our own, we're never going to get there. We don't get there by trying harder. Along the way, we just, stuff sticks to us. We accumulate rubbish. It just keeps coming along our way. And we say, I'm sorry, God. And we let go and we're free again. And it might be that the next day we pick up something else or we discover something on the bottom of our shoe and we're like, oh, I stink again. But Christian maturity is to go, God, this is a quote from a guy called Brother Lawrence, God, I've sinned. But if it wasn't for you, I'd have sinned far, far worse. So thank you for forgiving me. And now I move on. And instead of wallowing around in a guilt cycle, a, a shame cycle, a mess cycle, we just let go of the rubbish and we're set free. Amen. Paul loved these people so much that he called them to repentance. And friends, that's what we've got to do for each other. Keep us on that line with him.